0: Merry almost Christmas. Oh. Fam Dammily. Oh
1: my gosh. Christmas is in, what, two days from when people are listening to this? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Hi, Miles. Long Hi. time, no talk. Yeah. Should we tell them or let them live in delusion? About what? That we're recording this right after last
0: episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll decide that when I edit the episode. <laughs> well. So if you're hearing this, we're doing back to back episodes. If you're not,
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell them. Um, so obviously we are prepping to have a baby. <laughs> I am less than five weeks away from my due date and I just know us. Maybe be less than we four are...
0: weeks away from your due date when this episode comes out. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's getting
1: so close. Um, About a month. Yeah, so I just know us and know that we're going to be so exhausted and it's going to be really hard to keep up with the podcast with a brand new baby. Mm-hmm. And we are very dedicated to this. We want it to be consistent and want you guys to get an episode every week, even if it's like a day or two late, which has happened and you guys are have been awesome. So we are, for the next few weeks, pre-recording a, a few episodes to help yes. us get ahead. So it is still, well, it's now the 16th. So it technically, it's
0: not the same day. Yeah, that we're recording anymore. <laughs> but
1: it's just after midnight on the sixteenth. <laughs> so we just finished recording my episode, episode sixty-eight, and now we're recording the Christmas ep- or Miles's episode, which is two days before Christmas. So we're just gonna live in delusion that today is December twenty-third because mm-hmm. when you listen to this, it is. Well, hopefully, that's all that matters.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> hopefully, the world didn't stop turning. Is that what you mean? <laughs>
0: The world waits for us. <laughs> Fam, family podcast is the most important thing in this world. So, right now,
1: so up until this point of December, we have done a bunch of Christmassy things, huh? We we went and saw Christmas lights on Monday. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking as if this already happened. <laughs> we will have going... <laughs> had seen.
0: <laughs>
1: we will have watched a bunch of Christmas movies and snuggle on the couch and had lots of syrup syrup because that's what elf does syrup yeah is that what you said the first time yeah (laughs) syrup i'm trying okay i'm trying for you
0: can you say the word mirror
1: oh my gosh it's like that okay we had a conversation the other day miles and i where he was like isn't it funny that you say mullet and bullet differently and i'm like i literally say them the exact same and he kept saying them Mullet and bullet. And I was like, Miles, you are saying no. them the
0: exact <laughs> okay. same
1: way. Okay,
0: listeners, you be the judge on this. Okay, <laughs> so mullet and bullet. Let me know if those sound the same to you. Okay, but To me, just... they are different. Like, the U sound is different.
1: Mullet, bullet. Yeah. I think when you say mullet, you say you're Mullet. You. Yeah, mullet. Nobody says that.
0: Is that... Mullet. Okay. <laughs> mullet. That's, that sounds dumb. I mean, the hairstyle is dumb, so maybe you're right, but.
1: He's like, they're spelled the same, but you say it differently. And I was like, no, even you say them the same.
0: <laughs> no, I don't. Mullet, bullet. It's like when you're saying like mullet over and then, so like mull, take the first. Mullet l- it over? Yeah.
1: Yeah. it
0: <laughs> Mull it over. And then like the animal bull, it's bull like with a, almost like at the two O sound. so let me get this straight you say mullet over mullet over not mullet over
1: mullet over no mullet over
0: okay anyway (laughs) (laughs) whatever Uh, whatever i'm right you're right we're both right let's just agree to agree (laughs) this is how he (laughs) avoids (laughs) arguments
1: let's just agree to disagree okay no No, i said
0: let's agree to agree that we're both right
1: oh okay yeah yeah sure but yeah so what you got for me
0: uh i got jokes do you do like you? jokes let's hear them okay
1: i'm starting to believe that you might not be that funny <laughs> just kidding man if you guys just saw that was the look of a man who just got his soul crushed a little bit
0: i am (laughs) not listening to you anymore this is my episode i'm in charge (laughs) you listen to me all right shoot
1: bang bang (laughs)
0: all right why did scrooge put his clock in the bank why to save time
1: oh okay
0: why did ebenezer scrooge go to mc uh, go to mcdonald's why for a humbugger (laughs) okay what's charles dickens favorite kind of tea i have a few jokes today what a novelty
1: oh uh, Charles my Dickens are getting, like, more and more pitiful.
0: Yeah, and I, and I have two more jokes. <laughs> okay. Charles Dickens walks into a bar and orders a martini. The bartender asks, olive or twist?
1: <laughs> I get it. Okay, last one, last one. Okay, okay.
0: A copy of A Christmas Carol fell on my toe. It hurt like the Dickens.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm done now. But, um, shh. Slow yeah, clap. it started.
0: It started like getting the laughs that you were giving me. Started to get more pitiful. <laughs> then you just like stopped. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone! I guess that's the episode. <laughs> just kidding. So, what's the story about today, Courtney?
1: Uh, Charles Dickens and Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge.
0: Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah.
1: I'm excited. This will be fun. Yeah.
0: So I did want to pick kind of a, a Christmassy theme. We did receive a like a recommendation to do Saint Nicholas, but we did that last year. Yeah. So go back and listen to it.
1: <laughs> Just yeah. kidding. Just kidding.
0: <laughs> it's fine. No, this will be but, fun though. Yeah, but I wanted to do something that was like kind of Christmassy themed and this guy has been on my list for for a little bit. Not not too long. Not as long as Cruise some of the others. Scrooge? Charles Dickens. Oh, okay. So I'm like, you know what? A Christmas Carol is a great Christmas-themed story to talk about.
1: Yeah. Well, and then for Halloween, like, I did a... Uh,
0: you did the Headless Horseman thing.
1: Ichabod Crane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember his name.
1: Yeah, no. For Halloween, I did Ichabod Crane. So I think this is totally justified in doing another fictional story. Right. But it's a classic. Oh, this is going to be so good. Well, Charles Dickens isn't fictional, so
0: he is not. He is a real person who lived on Earth. What? In England, to be precise. So he is a brat, but I mean... <laughs> just kidding. All right.
1: All right, tell me all about him.
0: Sorry, Charlie. Charlie Dickens.
1: Anybody actually him that? No. Oh, okay. Charlie.
0: He was born in Portsmouth, Hampshire, England, on the 7th of February, 1812. Wow. His parents, John and Elizabeth, had eight children, Charles being the second... His father was a clerk for the Navy pay office and was temporarily stationed in the area like this Portsmouth, Hampshire, England place. Sure, sure. Just temporarily at the time of Charles' birth. Sure. In 1815, so skipping forward a few years, John was called back to London. As a child, Charles liked to spend a lot of his time like outside, but he was also like very into reading. He loved to read. Ooh. Also to note... Charles was known to have an excellent memory. Later on in life, he would use a lot of his, like, childhood memories in a lot of his writings.
1: Oh, fun.
0: So, like, I wouldn't say he had, like, a perfect memory, but he was noted to have, like, an excellent memory. Like, he was able to recall, like, little details and stuff like that.
1: Cool. That's cool. So, he grew up in London, right? I'm getting that right?
0: Um, yeah.
1: Cool. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, his situation's kind of weird. We'll, We'll get into this here in a second. Okay. So, due to his father's job, Charles was admitted to a private school. He was, like, he was given, like, permission to attend a private school, whatever. And in 1822, Charles' family moved to Camden Town due to, again, father's work, while Charles stayed behind to finish up the final term of school.
1: Oh, I see.
0: So, up to this point, the Dickens family had racked up quite a bit of debt, and John, he was actually put in debtor's prison, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's prison for people who are in debt you can't pay what? their creditors back. Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, Dang, I would be in prison. <laughs> Jeez, just kidding. I, we, we, we pay our debt.
0: <laughs> we're good at... We're, we make our monthly payments. <laughs> yeah, we're good at monthly payments.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
0: So, now, John is in prison. And I guess it was custom back then as well to, like, bring your family... To prison? ...into prison with you. I guess. Okay. Kind of seemed weird. But...
1: I'm just, like, picturing, like, a little society of it's like you guys are the ones that are in debt
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know if they like stayed in the prison cell with them or if they just like moved nearby i don't know what the deal is but they were together so
1: he was like in an actual prison
0: a debtor's prison which i think is a little bit not an actual like you know like prison
1: i'm sorry i am just having like a hard time picturing this like okay
0: but anyway so yeah family's with him so charles he's now 12 years old He, however, was taken in, instead of like staying with his family, he was taken in by a family friend, Elizabeth Roylance, after whom he modeled a character, Mrs. Pipchin, from his later book, Dombey and Son. Dope. Yeah. Never read it. Me neither. (laughs) After staying with Elizabeth, he moved in to a back attic in the house of Archibald Russell, who was an agent of the insolvent court, whom he described as... A, quote, fat, good-natured, kind, old gentleman, unquote, and his, quote, quiet old wife and his, quote, uh, lame son.
1: <laughs> this is like the start of a children's book.
0: <laughs> well, actually, this family was also inspiration for the Garlands in another later writing called The Old Curiosity Shop.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay.
0: On Sundays, Charles and his sister Frances, who were studying at the Royal Academy of Music, so there's two of them not li- uh, living in the prison or prison area with the rest of their family. His sister Frances, they visited their family on Sundays. To make ends meet, Charles, he kind of quit school. He started working 10-hour shifts, uh, pasting labels on pots for boot blacking, which is basically shoe polishing. okay. <laughs> And he made six shillings a week, which, if I did my math right, would equal about 60 bucks. Per week? Per week.
1: And he was what, 15?
0: 12. Oh, he was 12. He's, he's 12 at this point. So the hard hours and strenuous labor had a lasting impact on Charles and influenced his ideals and views on the socioeconomic conditions for the poor. An excerpt from Life of Charles Dickens describes, which is like a his autobiography describes the conditions he worked in. And this is a quote from there. Quote, the Blacking Warehouse was the last house on the left-hand side of the way at Old Hungerford Stairs. It was a crazy, tumble-down old house, abutting, of course, on the river, and literally overrun with rats. Its waste coated rooms and its rotten floors and staircase and the old grey rats swarming down in the cellars and the sound of their squeaking and scuffling coming up the stairs at all times, and the dirt and decay of the place rise up visibly before me as if I were there again. The counting house was on the first floor, looking over the cold barges uh, barges and the river. There was a recess in it in which I was to sit and work. My work was to cover the pots of paste blacking, first with a piece of oil paper and then with a piece of blue paper, to tie them around with a string and then to clip the paper clothes and neat all around until it looked as smart as a pot of ointment from an apothecary shop. So like pretty intricate work that he's mm-hmm. doing. When a certain number of grocers of pots had attained this pitch of perfection, I was to paste, there's a lot of P sounds, I was to paste on each a printed label and then go on again with more pots. Two or three other boys were kept at similar duty downstairs on similar wages. One of them came up in a ragged apron and a paper cap on the first Monday morning to show me the trick of using the string and tying the knot. His name was Bob Fagan, and I took the liberty of using his name long afterwards in Oliver Twist. So long I accept from that, but that he's basically just describing the conditions he was working Mm -hmm. in. So like rat infested, rotting floors, poor wages.
1: (laughs) Everyone's dirty. Everyone's dirty. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: A few months after John was initially imprisoned, his mother also named Elizabeth Dickens, so John's mother. So, Charles' grandmother and his mother were both named Elizabeth Dickens. But Charles' grandmother, she died, and his father John was bequeathed £450. John was released and arranged payment for his creditors. The family then moved in with Mrs. Roylance, the one that Charles was staying with first. Charles, eager to leave his strenuous job... Wanted to go back with his family too, but his mother did not approve of his leave at the Blacking Warehouse.
1: So, is his family still in prison?
0: No. Because, so, John received this money from his dead mother, and, like, he was released and, like, made, like, basically a payment plan with with his creditors. okay. So, yeah, they they were moving back to, was it, Candom Town? I think that's what it was called. Okay. Yeah, Camden Town. They were moving back to Camden Town, and Charles was wanting to go with him, but his mother's like, no, you got to stay and work mm. kind of thing. Okay. So this trying time in his youth led to inspire some themes in his autobiographical novel, David Copperfield. Does that one ring a bell to you? It does, yes. Cool. Charles was eventually sent to the Wellington House Academy in Camden Town, but he didn't like it there. In fact, this establishment is also inspiration for Mr. Creakle's place in david copperfield
1: hmm.
0: he remained there for two years until march 1827
1: but was it better than the rat infested place that he was just at uh it,
0: probably <laughs> but he, he pretty much said because this is kind of like another school he just said that the, the teaching was very poor like the, the, no one was treated well mm-hmm. they were mainly there just like for profit mm. after his time at wellington house academy charles found a job at a law office of alice and blackmore working as a clerk here he was known as a bit of a funny guy (laughs) mimicking and impersonating his co-workers and even some clients he also noted himself that he loved going to the theater and every day for three years he would go to the theater like according to him after his time here he became a freelance reporter Um, he also had a distant relative that worked in the same field and the two of them shared like, a workspace mm-hmm. or something similar for, like, four years. Oh, wow. As, um, what Charles would do. He would, like, report on legal proceedings. hmm His time here helped educate him, in which, ed- hold on. This is weird phrasing. <laughs> his time here helped educate him which education influences his later works, Dombey and Son, which I mentioned before, Nicholas Nickleby and Bleak House. Those All ones
1: the- I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All of which brought to light to many people the conditions in which the poor population had to live and work in.
1: I feel like he went to great lengths to expose these people. Nowadays, all he would have to do is just, like, write a Yelp review. (laughs) Two stars had rats. One star. They were mean. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Poor customer service. I'm just kidding. No, that's good, though, that, like, at least he was bringing awareness to
0: it. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that in, was later down the line when he actually wrote these novels. But. I would
1: say, yeah, like in his own
0: mm-hmm.
1: way later, yeah. Yeah.
0: This whole backstory, again, it's not Christmas themed, mm. but I, I get to the Christmas theme later on, but this is like a lead up sure. to this. Yeah, so yeah. keep that in mind, everyone. This is Christmas themed. I'm just getting there.
1: Christmas time this year. Sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> in
0: 1830, Charles met his first love, Maria Bednell. 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 What? Bednell. Maria Biedner.
1: Are you sure?
0: Yes. Okay. But her parents weren't approving of the relationship, so they sent her away to school in Paris, and they never saw each other again.
1: Oh. What? <laughs>
0: yeah. Sad times. Okay. In 1832, Charles is now 20 years old at this time, and he is still his goofy self. He still did his, you know, mimicry, impersonating, bump my microphone there a little bit, and so forth. And due to his rising popularity with his work, like all these legal proceedings that he's reporting on he was also becoming more self-confident
1: i have a quick question does he ever get married yes okay i'm just gonna insert a thought really quick if somebody ever does like a story about my life you don't need to talk about my quote-unquote first loves just (laughs) just you don't (laughs) ex-boyfriends crushes husbands (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, you just you just don't need to talk about it. Because like, I am married. I am happy. I have found the one. The ones before him don't exist.
0: Hey, that Denver, you're the one. <laughs> just kidding. I know you're talking about me. I, love I just you too, feel
1: like it's so funny. Because I feel like there's been a lot of stories that you and I have done where it's like, they were with this person. But then that ended. But then they married this person. It's like, they married the second person for a reason
0: yeah like why do you have to mention the other one
1: <laughs> like he's probably over here like oh my gosh are we talking about her again <laughs> like she's my ex come on move let on let it go her parents hated me gosh anyway sorry <laughs>
0: that's okay apparently they thought it was important enough to note so
1: <laughs> okay
0: okay so He's becoming more self confident because he's coming, becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. He loved entertaining people and all that attention that he gained from, you know, yeah. from doing that. Yeah, for sure. And he decided that he wanted to be famous, famous Podcaster. for what? Yeah, there you go. He would be a kill. I would listen to a podcast. Would you? What the Dickens? <laughs> I could, I could, I could see it now. Hire me as your marketing team. Uh, so, Just what did kidding.
1: he do? Read books.
0: Well, he still had yet to figure it out. Oh. So, as I mentioned before, he loved the theater, and he decided to pursue acting. He and he was, like, super dedicated to this as well. What he would do, he would, like, um, like, to make this happen, to make this new career path happen, he would practice and prepare meticulously for auditions that were coming up. But on the day of his first audition, poor Charles came down with a cold and wasn't able to make it. Mm. Impatient. Charles didn't want to wait for the next audition, which I guess was, like, a while. So he shifted his focus to writing. Okay. In 1833, he submitted his first story, A Dinner at Poplar Walk. Upon seeing his potential, his uncle on his mother's side, William Barrow, offered him a job at the Mirror of Parliament. Here he covered parliamentary debates, which took him all across Britain. He compiled all of his work, mainly, like, sketches that he would do, Mm -hmm. to form his first collection, which he called Sketches of Boz, um, in 1836. Boz was, like, a family nickname. There's, like, a backstory to it, but I don't think it's that important. It was just Boz. (laughs) Okay. Charles started to get more, uh, and also, he did use that as, like, a pseudonym for a while as well, Mm. Boz. Anyway, Charles started to get more of a reputation and, like, pretty quickly, like, his reputation like sped up after this role and all the all this work that he was like doing all these sketches nice he became friends with like other authors and politicians as well that he worked with Mm -hmm. he was soon approached by the publishers from chapman and hall a new up-and-coming publishing house with a job offer nice the job was to provide text to some sketches drawn by a recently departed robert seymour these works were dubbed the pickwick papers in the beginning They didn't have, like, a ton of success Mm -hmm. until, like, um, until the introduction of a, quote, beloved Cockney character named Sam Weller. After the Pickwick Papers, Charles had another vision, which we know has all of a twist.
1: Ooh. What a twist.
0: Just kidding. Whoa. He started by writing 90 pages a day while also working and writing slash overseeing production of four different plays
1: man what a slacker <laughs> Not, only 90 pages like come on man. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> no that's really impressive yeah
0: like i can i mean think about it today i mean he didn't have a computer he couldn't type on a keyboard which most people can write like on average about 60 words per minute right he's writing all this by hand or maybe on a typewriter when were typewriters existed I mean, invented.
1: Uh, hold on.
0: No, this was like early 1800s, so no, it, it wouldn't have been. So, all by hand. Are you looking it up?
1: The typewriter was invented in 1867.
0: Yeah, so this is before that. Yeah. So, also during this time, so this is like 1836-ish. hmm After a one-year engagement to a daughter of one of Charles' employers and friends, George Hogarth... Charles married Catherine Thomas Hogarth, who was only three years his younger. I figured that would be worth mentioning because a lot of the stories I tell, he's like, you know, decades apart.
1: Yeah, from from his spouse.
0: (laughs) They're they're only three years apart. And I threw a fit about it. Yeah, these these guys are only three years apart.
1: That's fine. I will, I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks.
0: They also had a honeymoon baby. Oh. So they were they were married in in April. 1836 this baby was born in january 1837 He was the first of 10 kids sound familiar it was a boy they named him charles so pretty original name no way (laughs) they set up a home in bloomsbury and charles younger brother frederick and catherine's younger sister mary both moved into into this new house with them and mary and charles were very close oh no not that close Oh, okay. They were very close. They were like really good friends, up until Mary passed away in Charles' arms in eighteen thirty-seven. So it was like later that year. Why? She was just she was just sick.
1: She was just like all right, I'm out. Yeah. That's sad.
0: The distraught Charles even had to take some time off of his work, like he was that distraught.
1: That's so sad.
0: Yeah. So Rose Maylie, who was a character from Oliver Twist. That Charles planned on killing off was actually fashioned after Mary, but after the tragedy, he realized that he could no longer kill her off. So, another little tidbit about Oliver Twist, for uh um, so because Dickens she died fans. in
1: real life, the character he based off of her, he couldn't kill her off. Exactly, because that would have been really morbid. Yep, and he has a soul.
0: <laughs> You'd think so.
1: Wow, what a fun fact! He was guy. a redhead. I'm just kidding. What a stand-up guy. Yeah. Not marrying too young. Not killing off his sister-in-law that died in real life.
0: And not having an affair with her either. Like, good on him.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Was that an option?
0: Uh, I guess technically. They were close, (laughs) but... (laughs) Anyway. So Oliver Twist was published in 1838, being the first novel with a child protagonist Mm. and becoming one of his most well-known works. Queen Victoria was even a fan of his work and would stay up late discussing his writings
1: interest
0: this was like between oliver twist and the the pickwick tales or whatever they were called. how
1: what an honor right the queen talks about it right right
0: in january
1: 1842
0: he visited america and while here he told americans that he thought slavery was condemnable which yeah true sure and he also related it to poverty in England. Another item on his agenda was to prevent any further piracy of his work. People had been, like, copying some of his oh. stories and stuff like that. So he got some American authors on board and wanted to take the issue to Congress. But he was actually, he was eventually halted and said, basically what they said is, like, you should be grateful that people want to copy your work. It's oh, like, gosh. Shut up. Like, it's this the best is...
1: form of flattery. <laughs>
0: That 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 made me mad on his behalf. I'm just like, are you kidding me? They should he like he should find he should be grateful for that. I'm like, no, that's his work that people are copying, sure, claiming it yeah. as their own. Yeah, that's not cool. Anyway, upon returning to England, Charles started thinking about what to do for his next project. So a lot of things contributed to the passion that he put into this next work. Uh, primarily, the treatment of the poor working class. Uh, man or like in this case child because you know child labor laws were different back then in early 1843 he visited the cornish tin mines only to find children working in what he described as appalling conditions at the same time the second report of the children's employment commission which is just like a a law that basically well not really a law but a commission that, that goes out to the public and stuff like that So yeah, at the same time, this was published, which then furthered Charles' anger. He planned on responding to this with his own pamphlet to combat these ideals, but he's like, you know what? Maybe it's better to wait on this. So he started like, started getting some brewing. (laughs) Okay. In October 1843, he rallied workers and employees alike to urge them to work together. I said workers and employees, workers and employers alike, to urge them to work together to fight for the educational reform of the ill-educated. Afterwards, Charles felt the most effective way to voice his concerns was to write a Christmas narrative.
1: Why would he do that? I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Thus, the idea of a Christmas carol was born.
1: Very nice.
0: So, this is where it gets Christmassy. Christmas um, Christmas carol, arguably the most popular... <laughs> arguably the most famous christmas story and charles always loved christmas like even from a young age he Mm -hmm. he was just fascinated by it he was noted to be of not necessarily religious but of a religious nature Uh,
1: okay but like what person doesn't love christmas especially as a child like i mean i feel that like i I love christmas every person ever could be like same though (laughs) right
0: like presents well funny we'll get to it in a second um. so yeah um, Charles he was noted to be of reli- religious nature not necessarily religious um, because he didn't like organized religion
1: hmm okay
0: he is however said to have honored the figure of Jesus which is likely contributing to his fascination for Christmas hmm. he thought like the stories of Jesus were pretty cool
1: yeah I would agree
0: yeah also playing a part of his inspiration was the earlier writings of fellow british author washington irving whose christmas writings were based on old english christmas traditions and the two writers shared a belief that bringing back some of these older christmas traditions would improve social connection Mm -hmm. yet another contribution to charles new christmas story were fairy tales and nursery rhymes which in his mind they were like, closely related to Christmas due to, like, underlying themes of, uh, like, um, transformation and conversion. It's
1: really funny because Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And his buddy that you're talking about.
0: Washington Irving.
1: Wrote Ichabod Crane.
0: <gasps> oh! <laughs> I was wondering where that name was, like, why it sounded so familiar. I'm like, maybe I've read, like, or at least heard of some of his work yeah that's okay yeah thank thank you (laughs) that bugged me for a little bit i'm just like it's fine i'm not talking about him he
1: was like super into writing about christmas and yeah (laughs) that's funny (laughs) oh my goodness anyways
0: anyways um so i would give a rundown of the christmas story but if anyone doesn't know it by now you're living under a rock yeah. Like, pick, go pick up a book.
1: You're the Scrooge. You are Just the Scrooge. <laughs> Bar
0: humbug. So clearly Charles used a lot of, like, examples from his real life. Used yeah. them as inspiration for his stories. And he likely did the same for A Christmas Carol. For Ebenezer Scrooge, it's pretty obvious that his character's attitude and behavior in the beginning are how he sees, like, some employers... Uh, towards their workers, mm-hmm. and um, you know, particularly those yep. of child workers. In his case, for sure, you know, cold-hearted, greedy, stingy, money-oriented, that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The ending clearly what he like would like to see in such people, so like charity, charitable, gleeful, etc. Some believe that influence came from Charles' feelings for his father. It's noted he both admired and demonized his dad. The former being. How Scrooge is at the end of the story, the latter being, like, how he is in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, sure. The name Scrooge is thought to be inspired by a nearby tradesman sign when he was, like, a kid. Uh There was a nearby, like, tradesman estate, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Called Googe and Marnie, if that sounds familiar, Scrooge and Marley. For Tiny Tim, he used his nephew as inspiration, whose name was Henry. He was a five-year-old disabled boy at this time. For the characters' want and ignorance, the ones that one of the ghosts, like, had, like, you know. Mm -hmm. um, He gained inspiration from ragged schools, which were basically establishments for, like, impoverished and uneducated children. The way this Christmas story was received... Is quite impressive, especially since his previous book was it was called Martin Chuzzlewit, was kind of a flop. <laughs> I was Not gonna min- say,
1: never heard of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it, it wasn't very popular. It didn't do a lot. Um, this isn't in my notes, but I'll, I'll mention it. His publishers, Chapman and what was it, Chapman and Hart? Mm-hmm. They um they were very hesitant to publish uh, a Christmas Carol
1: because of the last book because of the last book It like
0: like look dude this last book wasn't that
1: good it <laughs> wasn't that good it didn't
0: do a lot, had a lot of success or anything He's like, like that
1: Man, you kind of suck at this yeah
0: so but charles was like i mentioned before he was very passionate about this so he at this time as well this was also this also wasn't in my notes but he was also like pretty poor at this time right despite all of his successes because of his previous book that was a flop oh
1: that's a
0: bummer so like he used his own money being poor uh-huh. when he was he used his own money to get it published the first one that he saw didn't really fit his vision so like after they published it with the binding and all that stuff the spine whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. he didn't like it so he paid a little bit extra to have it a little bit more decorated more fancy so like it'd be more appeal and like because of that the book did great but because he spent his own money he didn't get a lot back so like he it was one of his like lower income earning books But most popular. Oh, interesting. Or one of the most popular, I should say. So almost immediately, people started adapting this story for the theater. But what's more is Charles himself would perform readings of the book almost a decade later, and he was said to be able to captivate his audience for the full 90 minutes of his performance. Like, can you imagine, like, standing up there for 90 minutes and just, like, reading your own book?
1: And people were like like they loved it they were in
0: awe of it can you imagine that that'd be cool a lot of this like is you know credit to his work trying to audition to be an actor and stuff like that in the theater but yeah he was just he was very very animated that's cool he did this yeah
1: that i feel like also would be a huge compliment
0: oh yeah oh yeah you know when i when i mentioned to you earlier when i was um finishing up these notes and how my brain was like going in different directions. I was like, I want to write a book. (laughs) And so I was like, like you have topics of what I could write my book on. And I'm like, wait, I need to focus on my notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, wait a second. The podcast.
0: (laughs) Yep. That should be my priority. So before a Christmas carol, the British used the Christmas holiday for feasting, drinking, caroling, um, basically like, merrymaking that kind of thing sure but the book a christmas carol reintroduced the idea of gift giving and charity it ought to it to variety but i know what i meant <laughs> and also brought about the idea of a white christmas and brought awareness to the then scarce idea in britain of a christmas tree
1: interesting so where did he get all these ideas
0: old christmas traditions same as like washington irving Okay. Like they they collabed and and stuff like that. I think.
1: Oh, interesting. So are you? You're so you're telling me that if it weren't for Charles Dickens and Washington Irving, we might not see Christmas the same way that we do today.
0: Likely not. Interesting. Like, yeah, the whole white Christmas thing that's a little bit different because so when he was born, Britain had like the coldest winter in a while. Mm-hmm. Typically. During this time, they would get snow during like between January and March. But they had, um, like when he was a kid, it being like a they called it like a mini ice age kind okay. of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was it didn't freeze anything over, but it was a lot colder. So, like, they he was very used to like white Christmas, so he wanted to involve that in his Christmas writing.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool
0: yeah. with the Christmas tree. I mean, obviously, like. I mean that was like a a german German right yeah German tradition for Christmas before, and it was it was used in England just not not everywhere like sure. nowadays you'd go into any old person's home and see a Christmas tree during sure. Christmas time, yeah back then it would be like a rare occurrence like you walk in like, hmm. whoa, you have a Christmas tree kind of thing,
1: yeah, I mean we have ours up right now, we do
0: so. With uh, the bottom half of the ornaments are um on the floor. On the floor. <laughs> Thanks, Harper. Love you. So he success successfully changed the focus of Christmas from merrymaking to gift giving. Hmm. So more like, less enjoy Christmas yourself, more enjoy it with others. Kind of thing.
1: That's nice. Yeah, I like that.
0: So more on Charles, just a little bit more, just to close up i'll skip his middle years because there's um some borderline scandalous acts that i don't want to go into (laughs) And it's christmas so i want to like try to see the good in people you know
1: sure yeah yeah
0: but later in life he did a lot of travel he was involved in a literal train wreck oh um visited the states again and that train wreck he actually again real life events inspired some writings in his book Uh uh-huh stuff like that um visited the states again wrote more novels Worked as an editor, and so on. Mm -hmm. He had a stroke in 1869, and after he gained his strength strength back, he did one final series of readings involving 12 performances, the last of which was on the 2nd of May, in front of the Prince and Princess of Wales. Wow. On June 8th, 1870, he had another stroke from which he never regained consciousness, and the following day he died.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: And he was, he was a very modest man, obviously. He wanted a very modest funeral, mm-hmm. like nothing boisterous or anything like that. Sure. And he did request to be buried in, I can't remember where, but like one other place. But they didn't really listen to it. Like, respect, respectfully, they didn't listen to it. <laughs> what they did instead, uh, it was a little bit more generous, and he was buried in the Poet's Corner of Westminster Abbey.
1: They're like respectfully. Your idea is really bad, so <laughs> let us just do it for We're you. We're gonna
0: upgrade your your grave
1: whether you wanted it or not.
0: You're a platinum mem- platinum member. You get a free upgrade. <laughs> In his will, he left eighty thousand pounds. Like a, no, his eighty thousand pound estate. Sorry, which.
1: He did the conversion? I can see it the in conversion
0: your... was in the article, which was nice. You can hear are the you, pain
1: in Miles. Are voice you ready right for <laughs> this? Are you ready
0: for your jaw to drop?
1: Can I guess? Yeah, four million. No, nope. am I even close? Ish, two hundred million. No, not okay, that much.
0: Ten point three million
1: dollars. Ooh.
0: Um, so we left that to his longtime friend and colleague John Forster and Georgina. Hogarth, whom he referred to as his best and truest friend, as well as 8,000 pounds. Want to guess? 1 million? Yeah, spot on. So 8,000 pounds to each, and also his two sons. So like 4 million pounds just there. His maid Caroline got 600 pounds a year salary, which is 77,500 pretty decent and then 19 pounds to like other servants and and things under his employment which would i think it's 19 pounds which would be $2,500
1: nice wait so what did his wife get
0: i didn't mention that that was part of like his middle years his wife actually they split up oh um down the line which is where like the the borderline scandal scandal.
1: did he cheat on her
0: no they he separated they separated before he did anything so like you know Props to him.
1: But... Um,
0: <laughs> but there was... There was an actress... Oh, no. That he was working with when he was doing, like, the theater. And he, like, was dumbstruck by her. Oh. And so, like, he's just like, you know what? I love her. And I'm going to leave my wife for her. And it, I guess it was kind of amicable.
1: They had ten kids.
0: They had ten kids. Which, one of them went with Catherine, his wife. But the others... <laughs> went to like their aunt <laughs> to stay with their aunt which what th- this, the is kinda, this is kind of this is kind of why i do not want to talk about it but
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm over here like spill the tea yeah man. spill the
0: tea anyway um yeah it's so, like his wife and himself and and he went together at the time
1: you know what i would sit down with his wife for tea just to talk crap about charles dickens <laughs> yeah I'm just kidding <laughs>
0: so obviously there is more about charles but christmas christmas yeah
1: that's it that's it that's a story that's a story have you ever seen like a live version of christmas carol Mm-mm. have it's, you yeah it's super good so you know that um dinner theater that we went to and saw yeah. cinderella mm-hmm. uh the first time i ever went there the, it was a christmas carol oh cool christmas story a Christmas Carol Carol okay
0: a Christmas story is the one you quoted the other day
1: yeah I mix those I mix the titles up um that's okay but yeah no I'm sure we, a lot of people do we went and saw that and it was super good um but yeah that one's just it's a timeless classic and mm-hmm. I just I love that You know, there's so many different versions of it. Yeah. Like I'm not even gonna lie. Um, I was thinking about all the versions of, of it. Like when you were talking about it, and one of them came to my mind that I was like, I cannot believe that that got made. Um, and it was, like, Ghost of Girlfriend's Past or something like that. It has Matthew McConaughey.
0: Oh, I know which one you're talking about. And
1: it's like so crude and disgusting. Um, but he gets like visited by all of his exes mm-hmm. and it's, I watched it once. I remember thinking it was funny, but I'm just All like, of
0: his exes or her exes? His. Okay. I've never seen the movie, but.
1: It's like girls that he slept with. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's like 30 plus ghosts of all these girls anyways. Um, but I was just like, I cannot believe <laughs> that they turned such like a, a cool classic story into this, mm-hmm. but then again, sometimes crude humor is funny i don't know it was just i I was thinking about that i did watch it um, Mm -hmm. but the wholesome versions are good
0: what's your favorite
1: is there a tim burton one or did i make that up what's the what's the one that's animated jim carrey oh is that what i was thinking it's probably the jim carrey one then not tim burton because tim burton does like the nightmare before christmas stuff Mm -hmm. yeah so the jim carrey one i think is my
0: favorite cool not the Muppets? I know how much you love the Muppets. <laughs> I hate the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just teasing.
1: Everyone's like, go watch a Muppet, Chris. I'm like, I don't. Just don't.
0: That one was really well done. I did enjoy that one. Like, Michael Caine did a really good job of being Scrooge. Who? Michael Caine.
1: Oh, the Jim Carrey one?
0: No, Michael Caine.
1: Who's Michael Caine?
0: He's... So, you know, from uh, Batman... Yeah, with um, what's his name? Uh, Christian Bale. He plays Alfred. Oh, that's Michael Caine. He plays Scrooge in that, and he did a really good job.
1: Oh, 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 yeah. oh! I just looked up who Michael Caine was. Now I feel like an idiot. <laughs> it's
0: okay. Um, cool. but yeah, the Jim Carrey one's really good.
1: No, I would totally. That's one of the ones that I would totally see again, like at another dinner theater. You know. Let's go right now. A show and those are that's also the the one that's typically done every year you yeah know? so
0: yeah it's a it's a classic
1: yeah bah humbug
0: bah humbug <laughs> did you know that that term is copyrighted Yeah. you're the one that told me that yes i know <laughs>
1: that i used to have an etsy shop and i would create fun things that i thought were cute and i created a bah humbug sweatshirt with a grumpy cat on it and a bunch of Christmas lights, and it was really cool. I sold it to Miles's sister, and then I was like, I should probably make sure this isn't copyright.
0: It's copyright.
1: It is. Which, how? Charles Dickens is dead.
0: Um, the publishing publishers.
1: Stinking. Yeah.
0: But the thing that's anyway, I want to talk a little bit more about it, just because I don't feel like I do it. I did it enough justice in my notes, even <laughs> though I wrote about it extensively or read about it i should say but i just i'm super impressed by charles attitude even when he was like rich had this 10 million dollar estate and all this money after all of his success all of his success his ideals stay the same throughout like the whole time Mm -hmm. where it's like pay more attention to the working class people these poor children are working in appalling conditions basically killing themselves down there Mm-hmm. Like we need to do something about this. And just right. the way he he sparked that um just the awareness of it. I think is really impressive.
1: Mm-hmm. That is yeah, that's pretty cool. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Nice fella. Nice fella. I I was impressed with just like you know, he had a few really good novels that everyone's like, This is awesome. And then he had a few that like really flopped. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it didn't deter him from writing because I feel oh, like no. that's something that a lot of us get in that mindset where we have something good happen and then it doesn't happen again and we're like, oh, are we just like a one-hit wonder? Mm-hmm. And it discourages us from continuing forward. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool because like if he hadn't, we wouldn't have a Christmas Carol. Yeah. Anyways. No, thanks for the story. That You're was welcome. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I also love that you talked about Washington Irving.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: Is it Irvine? Or Irvine? Irving. Irving. And Ichabod Crane. Mm-hmm. Scrooge and Ichabod.
0: Yeah. But anyway, thanks once again, listeners, for tuning in to mm-hmm. Fam Damley And Merry Christmas. Yeah. Best time of the year, as my, the song says.
1: My advice to you is don't forget to put out your cookies and milk for Sandy Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, and track him on the internet because Norad will norad is they they have their own tracking system they're like a government site Mm -hmm. um but that you can watch santa go from state to state continent to continent and it's really fun and um also don't forget to tune in tomorrow for our live yep at two o'clock give or take 30 minutes Yep. Uh, Facebook and Instagram.
0: And if you haven't already, be sure to send in some stories.
1: So we can share it tomorrow.
0: Yeah. It could be stories about just like, I don't know, fun Christmas stories that you've experienced. Could be traditions that you have. Could be games that you play.
1: Yeah. Who knows? All maybe we'll play
0: a few on the live. We probably won't. but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'll be fun. It's going to be a good time. We're very excited. Um, it's our first live, so... Tune in, laugh at our jokes, make us feel loved, and we'll see you then. Oh, and also subscribe, like, follow all of our socials. We're Fam Daily Podcast. You can send in your stories to at gmail.com. Boom. Am I missing anything? Um, Keep being awesome.
0: If you are awesome. If you're not awesome, get awesome. Then get
1: awesome. <laughs> And again, Santa's watching just for a couple more days. And then he's going to take a little bit of a break until January 1st and he starts watching again.
0: Is that how that works?
1: I don't know. makes sense in my head. Are you an elf? You will never know. She's an angry just, just know that he's always watching. Always <laughs> watching the
0: <laughs> Okay. Take
1: this microphone away from me.
0: All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.